Chapter Ten of the Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One day, as he was employed in his usual drudgery, reflecting within himself upon his unhappy condition, he unexpectedly saw his good friends Captain Harvey and Hopkins, two of the Biddeford captains, who, as has been before related, had offered to redeem him from the prison at Newtown. He was overjoyed at the sight of them, not that he expected any deliverance from them, but only as they were friends he had been so much obliged to. The captains came up and inquired very kindly how it fared with him, and how he bore the drudgery they saw him employed in, adding that he had better have accepted the offer they made him at Newtown. Our hero gallantly replied that, however severe the hardships he underwent, and were they still more so, he would rather choose to suffer them than purchase liberty at their cost. The captains, charmed with his magnanimity, were resolved to make one attempt more to get him his liberty. They soon after sounded the boatswain and mate, and finding them not greatly averse to give him an opportunity to escape, they took him aside and thus addressed him. Friend Carew, the offer we made you at Newtown may convince you of the regard we have for you we therefore cannot think of leaving the country before we have by some means or other procured your liberty we have already sounded the boatswain and mate and find we can bring them to wink at your escape but the greatest obstacle is that there is forty pounds penalty and half a year's imprisonment for any one that takes off your iron collar so that you must be obliged to travel with it till you come among the friendly indians many miles distant from hence who will assist you to take it off for they are great friends with the english and trade with us for latins kettles frying pans gunpowder and shot giving us in exchange buffalo and deer skins with other sorts of furs but there are other sorts of indians one of which are distinguished by a very flat forehead who use crossbows in fighting the other of a very small stature, who are great enemies, and very cruel to the whites. These you must endeavor by all means to avoid, for if you fall into their hands they will certainly murder you. And here the reader will, we make no doubt, be pleased to see some account of the Indians, among whom our hero was treated with so much kindness and civility, as we shall relate in its proper place. At the first settling of Maryland there were several nations of them governed by petty kings, Mr. Calvert, Lord Baltimore's brother, having been sent by him to make the first settlement in Maryland, landed at Potomac Town during the infancy of Weroance. Archibald, his uncle, who governed his territories in his minority, received the English in a friendly manner. From Potomac the governor proceeded to Piscataqua, about twenty leagues higher, where he found many Indians assembled, and among them an Englishman, Captain Henry Fleet, who had lived there several years in great esteem with the natives. Captain Fleet brought the prince on board the governor's pinnace to treat with him. Mr. Calvert asked him whether he was agreeable that he and his people should settle in his country. The prince replied, I will not bid you go, neither will I bid you stay but you may use your own discretion. The Indians, finding their prince stay longer on board than they expected, crowded down to the waterside to look after him, fearing the English had killed him, and they were not satisfied till he showed himself to them to please them. The natives, who fled from St. Clement's Isle, when they saw the English come as friends, 
returned to their habitations and the governor not thinking it advisable to settle so high up the river in the infancy of the colony sent his pinnaces down the river and went with captain fleet to a river on the north side of the potomac within four or five leagues in his long-boat and came to the town of yoamaco from which the indians of that neighbourhood are called yoamacos the governor landed and treating with the prince there acquainted him with the occasion of his coming to whom the indian said little but invited him to his house entertained him kindly and gave him his own bed to lie on the next day he showed him the country and the governor determining to make the first settlement there ordered all his ships and pinnaces to come thither to him to make his entry the more safe and peaceable he presented the Werowance and wilsos and principal men of the place with some english cloth axes hoes and knives which they accepted very kindly and freely consented that he and his company should dwell in one part of the town and reserving the other for themselves those indians who inhabited that part which was assigned to the english readily abandoned their houses to them and mr calvert immediately set hands to work to plant corn the natives agreed further to leave the whole town to the english as soon as their harvest was in which they did accordingly and both english and indians promised to live friendly together if any injury was done on either part the nation offending was to make satisfaction thus on the twenty seventh march sixteen thirty four the governor took possession of the town and named it st mary's there happened an event which much facilitated this with the indians the susquehannocks a warlike people dwelling between chesapeake bay and delaware bay were wont to make incursions on their neighbors partly for dominion and partly for booty of which the women were most desired by them the yoamacos fearing these susquehannocks had a year before the english arrived resolved to desert their habitations and remove higher into the country many of them were actually gone and the rest prepared to follow them the ships and pinnaces arriving at the town the indians were amazed and terrified at the sight of them especially at hearing their cannon thunder when they came to anchor the first thing that mr calvert did was to fix a court of guard and erect a storehouse and he had not been there many days before sir john harvey governor of virginia came there to visit him as did several of the indian werowances and many other indians from several parts of the continent among others came the king of patuxent and being carried aboard the ship then at anchor in the river was placed between the governor of virginia and the governor of maryland at an entertainment made for him and others a patuxent indian coming aboard and seeing his king thus seated started back thinking he was surprised he would have fain leaped overboard and could not be persuaded to enter the cabin till the werowance came himself and satisfied him he was in no danger this king had formerly been taken prisoner by the english of virginia after the storehouse was finished and the ship unladen mr calvert ordered the colors to be brought ashore which was done with great solemnity the gentlemen and their servants attending in arms several volleys were fired on board and on shore as also the cannon at which the natives were struck with admiration such at least as had not heard the firing of pieces of ordnance before to whom it could not be dreadful the kings of patuxent and yoamaco were present at this ceremony with many other indians of yoamaco 
and the werowance of patuxent took that occasion to advise the indians of yoamako to be careful to keep the league that had been made with the english he stayed in town several days and was full of his indian compliments when he went away he made this speech to the governor i love the english so well that should they go about to kill me if i had so much breath as to speak i would command my people not to revenge my death for i know they would not do such a thing except it were through my own fault this infant colony supplied themselves with indian corn at barbados which at their first arrival they began to use to save their french store of flour and oatmeal the indian women perceiving that their servants did not know how to dress it made their bread for them and taught them to do it themselves there was indian corn enough in the country and these new adventurers soon after shipped off ten thousand bushels for new england to purchase salt fish and other provisions while the english and indians lived at st mary's together the natives went every day to hunt with the newcomers for deer and turkeys which when they had caught they gave to the english or sold for knives beads and such like trifles they also brought them good store of fish and behaved themselves very kindly suffering their women and children to come among them which was a certain sign of their confidence in them most of the indians still follow the religion and customs of their ancestors and are not become either more pious or more polite by the company of the english as to their religion they have all of them some dark notion about god but some of them have brighter ones if a person may be believed who had this confession from the mouth of an indian that they believed god was universally beneficent that his dwelling was in heaven above and the influence of his goodness reached to the earth beneath that he was incomprehensible in his excellence and enjoyed all possible felicity that his duration was eternal his perfection boundless and that he possessed everlasting happiness so far the savage talked as rationally of the existence of a god as a christian divine or philosopher could have done but when he came to justify their worshipping of the devil whom they call oki his notions were very heterodox he said it is true god is the giver of all good things but they flow naturally and promiscuously from him that they are showered down upon all men without distinction that god does not trouble himself with the impertinent affairs of men nor is concerned at what they do but leaves them to make the most of their free will and to secure as many as they can of the good things that flow from him that therefore it was to no purpose either to fear or worship him but on the contrary if they did not pacify the evil spirit he would ruin their health peace and plenty he being always visiting them in the air thunders storms etc as to the idol which they all worship and is kept in a temple called quiacasan he seemed to have a very different opinion of its divinity and cried out against the juggling of the priests this man did not talk like a common savage and therefore we may suppose he had studied the matter more than his countrymen who for the generality paid a great deal of devotion to the idol and worshipped him as their chief deity their priests and conjurers are highly reverenced by them they are given extremely to pawning or conjuring and one of them very lately conjured a shower of rain for a gentleman's plantation in a time of drought for two bottles of rum we are not apt 
to give credit to such supernatural events and had we not found this in an author who was on the spot we should have rejected it as a fable their priests promise fine women eternal spring and every pleasure in perfection in the other world which charmed them in this and threatened them with lakes of fire and torments by a fairy in the shape of an old woman they are often bloody in their sacrifices and offer up young children to the devil they have a superstitious ceremony among them which they call huskanawing and is performed thus they shut up ten or twelve young men the most deserving among them about twenty years of age in a strong enclosure made on purpose like a sugar-loaf and every way open like a lattice for the air to pass through they are kept for several months and are allowed to have no sustenance but the infusion or decoction of poisonous intoxicating roots which turn their brains and they run stark mad by this it is pretended they lose the remembrance of all former things even of their parents treasure and language as if they had drunk of the water of oblivion drawn out of the lake of lethe when they have been in this condition as long as their custom directs they lessen this intoxicating potion and by degrees the young men recover the use of their senses but before they are quite well they are shown in their towns and the youths who have been huskanod are afraid to discover the least sign of their remembering anything of their past lives for in such a case they must be huskanod again and they are disciplined so severely the second time that it generally kills them after the young men have passed this trial they are kukarauses or men of quality in their nations and the indians say they do it to take away from youth all childish impressions and that strong partiality to persons and things which is contracted before reason takes place the indian priests to command the respect of the people make themselves look as ugly and as terrible as they can the conjurers always share with them in their deceit and they gain by it the indians consult both of them before they go on any enterprise there are no priestesses or witches among them they erect altars on every remarkable occasion and have temples built like their common cabins in which their idols stand and the corpses of their kings and rulers are preserved they have no sort of literature among them and their way of communicating things from one to another is by hieroglyphics they make their accounts by units tens hundreds etc as the english do but they reckon their years by cohonks or winters and divide every year into five seasons the budding time the earing of the corn the summer the harvest and the winter their months they count by moons they divide the day into three parts the rise power and lowering of the sun and keep their accounts by knots on a string or notches on a stick of which captain smith relates a very pleasant story that when the princess pocahonta went for england a kukaraus or lord of her own nation attended her his name was utamokomek and king pohatan pocahontas father commanded him when he arrived in england to count the people and give him an account of their number utamokomek when he came ashore got a stick intending to count them by notches but he soon found that his arithmetic would be to no purpose and threw away his stick at his return the king asked him how many people there were and he replied count the stars of the heaven 
the leaves upon the trees and the sand upon the seashore and you will know how many are the people in england they esteem the marriage vow as the most sacred of all engagements and abhor divorces adultery is the most unpardonable of all crimes amongst them and seldom occurs without exemplary punishment their maidens are very chaste and if any one of them happen to have a child before marriage her fortune is spoiled they are very sprightly and good-humoured and the women generally handsome their manner of handling infants is very rough as soon as the child is born they plunge it over head and ears in cold water and they bind it naked to a board making a hole in the proper place for evacuation between the child and the board they put some cotton wool or fur and let it lie in this posture till the bones begin to harden the joints to knit and the limbs to grow strong then they loosen it from the board and let it crawl about where it pleases from this custom it is said the indians derive the neatness and exactness of their limbs which are the most perfect in the world some of them are of a gigantic stature live to a great age and are stronger than others but there is not a crooked bandy-legged or ill-shaped indian to be seen some nations of them are very tall and large-limbed but others are short and small their complexion is a dark brown and tawny they paint themselves with a pecan root which stains them a reddish colour they are clear when they are young but greasing and sunning make their skin turn hard and black their hair for the most part is coal-black so are their eyes they wear their hair cut after several whimsical modes the persons of note always keep a long lock behind the women wearing it very long hanging at their backs or twisted up with beads and all the better sort adorn their heads with a kind of coronet the men have no beards and to prevent their having any use certain devices which they will not communicate to the english their clothes are a mantle girt close in the middle and underneath a piece of cloth tied round their waist and reaching down to the middle of the thigh the common sort only tie a piece of cloth or skin round the middle as for their food they boil broil or roast all the meat they eat hominy is the standing dish and consists of indian corn soaked broken in a mortar and then boiled in water over a gentle fire ten or twelve hours together they draw and pluck their fowls skin and paunch their quadrupeds but dress their fish with the scales on and without gutting they leave the scales entrails and bones till they eat the fish when they throw the offal away their food is chiefly beeves turtle several specimens of snakes broth made of deer's humbles peas beans etc they have no set meals they eat when they are hungry and drink nothing but water their bread is made of indian corn wild oats or the seed of the sunflower they eat it alone and not with meat they travel always on foot with a gun or bow they live upon the game they kill and lie under a tree upon a little high grass the english prohibit them to keep corn sheep or hogs lest they should steal their neighbours when they come to rivers they presently patch up a canoe of birch bark cross over in it and leave it on the river's bank if they think they shall not want it otherwise they carry it along with them their way of receiving strangers is by the pipe or calumet of peace of this pere hennepin has given a long account in his voyage 
and the pipe is as follows they fill a pipe of tobacco larger and bigger than any common pipe light it and then the chief of them takes a whiff gives it to the stranger and if he smokes of it it is peace if not war if peace the pipe is handed all round the company the diseases of the indians are very few and easy to be cured they for the most part arise from excessive heats and colds which they get rid of by sweating as for aches and settled pains in the joints or limbs they use caustics and scarifying the priests are their physicians and from their childhood are taught the nature and use of simples in which their knowledge is excellent but they will not communicate it pretending it is a gift of god and by this mystery they make it the more valuable their riches consist of firs peak roanoke and pearl their peak and roanoke are made of shells the peak is an english bugle but the roanoke is a piece of cockle drilled through like a bead before the english came among them the peak and the roanoke were all their treasure but now they set a value on their fur and pearl and are greedy of keeping quantities of them together the pearl is good and formerly was not so rare as it is at this time they had no iron tools till the english brought them over their knives were sharpened reeds or shells their axes sharp stones they rubbed fire by turning the end of a hard piece of wood upon the side of one that is soft and dry which at last would burn they felled great trees by burning them down at the root having ways of keeping the fire from ascending they hollowed them with a gentle fire and scraped the tree clean and this made their canoes of which some were thirty feet long they are very good handicraft men and what they do is generally neat and convenient their kingdoms descended to the next heir male or female and they were exact in preserving the succession in the right line if as it often happened one great prince subjected the other those conquests commonly were lost at his death and the nation returned again to the obedience of their natural princes they have no written laws neither can they have any having no letters their lands are in common and their werowances or judges are all lord chancellors deciding causes and inflicting punishments according as they think fit these werowances and the cucarouses are their terms to distinguish the men of quality the former are their war captains and the latter such as have passed the trial of huskanawing their priests and conjurers have great authority among them they have servants whom they call black boys and are very exact in requiring the respect that is due to their several qualities most of the indians live on the eastern shore where they have two or three little towns some of them go over to the other side in winter time to hunt for deer being generally employed by the english they take delight in nothing else and it is very rare that any of them will embrace the christian way of living and worship there are about five hundred fighting indians in all the province the cause of their diminution proceeded not from wars with the english for they have none with them worth speaking of but from the perpetual discords and wars among themselves the female sex have always swept away a great many one thing is observed in them though they are a people very timorous and cowardly in fight 
yet when taken prisoner and condemned they will die like heroes braving the most exquisite tortures that can be invented and singing all the time they are upon the rack we find several of the indians doing actions which would do honour to the greatest heroes of antiquity thus captain smith who was one of the first adventurers in planting the colony of virginia being taken prisoner while he was making discoveries by king opicamcanuck he not only spared mr smith's life but carried him to his town and feasted him and afterwards presented him to powhatan the chief king of the savages who would have beheaded him had he not been saved by the intercession and generosity of his daughter pocahonto who when mr smith's head was on the block and she could not prevail with her father to give him his life put her own head upon his and ventured receiving the blow to save him though she was scarce then sixteen years of age some time after sir thomas dale sent captain argall to potomac to buy corn where he met with pocahonta he invited her to come aboard his ship which with some difficulty she consented to being betrayed by the king of postcany brother to the king of potomac with whom she then resided argall having got her into his custody detained her and carried her to jamestown intending to oblige her father king powhatan to come to what terms he pleased for the deliverance of his daughter though the king loved her tenderly yet he would not do anything for her sake which he thought was not for his own and the nation's interest nor would he be prevailed upon to conclude a firm treaty of peace till he heard his daughter who had turned a christian was christened rebecca and married to mr john rolfe an english gentleman her uncle giving her away in the church powhatan approved of the marriage took it for a sincere token of friendship and was so pleased with it that he concluded a league with the english in the year sixteen thirteen some time after sir thomas dale going for england took mr rolfe and his wife pocahonta with him and arrived at plymouth captain smith hearing the lady who had been so kind to him was arrived in england and being engaged at that time in a voyage to new england which hindered his waiting on her himself petitioned queen anne consort to king james on her behalf setting forth the civilities he had received from her and obligations she had laid upon the english by the service she had done them with her father the queen received this petition very graciously and before captain smith embarked for new england mr rolfe came with his wife from plymouth to london the smoke of the city offending her he took lodgings for her at brentford and thither captain smith went with several friends to wait on her pocahonta was told all along that captain smith was dead to excuse his not coming to virginia again from which he had been diverted by settling a colony in new england wherefore when this lady saw him thinking the english had injured her in telling her a falsity which she had ill deserved from them she was so angry that she would not deign to speak to him but at last with much persuasion and attendance was reconciled and talked freely to him she then put him in mind of the obligations she had laid upon him and reproached him for forgetting her with an air so lively and words so sensible that one might have seen nature abhors nothing more than ingratitude a vice that even the very savages detest she was carried to court by the lady delaware and entertained by ladies of the first quality 
towards whom she behaved herself with so much grace and majesty that she confirmed the bright character captain smith had given of her the whole court was charmed with the decency and grandeur of her deportment so much that the poor gentleman her husband was threatened to be called to an account for marrying a princess royal without the king's consent though in that king james showed a very notable piece of kingcraft for there was no likelihood that mr rolfe by marrying pocahonta could any way endanger the peace of his dominions or that his alliance with the king of wicomaco could concern the king of great britain indeed we are told that upon a fair and full representation of the matter the king was pleased to be satisfied the lady pocahonta having been entertained with all manner of respect in england was taken ill at gravesend where she lay in order to embark for virginia she died there with all the signs of a sincere christian and true penitent she had one son by mr rolfe whose posterity are at this day in good repute in virginia and inherit lands by descent from her the language of the indians is lofty but narrow the accent and emphasis of some of their words are great and sweet as okoroxton rancoke oriston chakemetan poquiffin all names of places and as sonorous as any in attica then for sweetness they have their anna mother isimus brother nilapsin and usque oret very good pone bread morridge walk a burying place skaw a woman salop a man papus a child End of chapter ten